0: Hello and welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. This podcast features experts in the field talking about the most salient issues in healthcare reform. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. This is your host, Emily George, and today I have the exciting opportunity to sit down with our founder and CEO, Rosemary Day. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Rosemary, you've had a very impressive career path and you've served in multiple roles in both the private and public healthcare sectors. And I would love for you to just to begin by telling us a little bit about your career path and what led you to start your own business. Well, I actually
1: hadn't been planning on starting my own business because my what I thought my career path was going to be was just going to be a pure public service kind of path. Um, I graduated from college and started working in a nonprofit, and then I went on to the Kennedy School of Government because I wanted to figure out how I could uh, find a career that would give me a chance to make more impact beyond what I could necessarily do in one, you know, mid-sized nonprofit. And so, I thought, well, maybe the place to really make a difference is to work in government. So my plan had been to uh, go to work in government, which I actually did after I graduated and I had uh, an amazing set of opportunities to um, work in state government in Massachusetts um, in a variety of different capacities, um, which culminated in um, helping to launch the Massachusetts State Health Connector, which um, was health reform, um, version 1.0, I guess, uh, you might want to call it, um, in Massachusetts, and that Um, actually became the model for um, state-based exchanges in the Affordable Care Act. And so um, as things unfolded, um, and of course when I took the position at the Connector, it was not a foregone conclusion that it was even going to work. So we were thrilled and amazed, uh, um, or at least I was, that we got everything to work in such a short amount of time and that it actually then caught national attention and then even got made into a into federal legislation. Um, It's been a wild ride but I'll just say that in um, observing that from being at the connector, um, you know it was incredibly exciting. It's what every public policy student's dream is that you you know implement something um, you know at that in that state laboratory of democracy kind of level and that it actually goes national. So that was just too big of an opportunity to pass up to have a chance to try and take this thing that we had done at the state level and bring it to other states so that it could hopefully you know, be successful in all 50 states. Um, so you know, it became clear that the only way to do that was to actually leave the, the Massachusetts Health Connector and start my own um, practice in consulting to advise other states and how to launch exchanges. And then as it turned out, to also invi- advise insurance companies how they might participate in exchanges. So I found myself um, launching this consulting practice and um, working uh, in both the public and private sectors as clients um, emerged. And it was a really exciting time, a really exciting opportunity, again, not not where I had expected to be. I, I really uh, didn't you know, plan to join um, the ranks in the private sector, but it afforded me the opportunity to, to um, think, I think, flexibly and creatively about how best to try and implement the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, and it also turned out that I um, had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak. I hadn't realized that, but I really do love um, running my own company and growing that. Um, so more on that perhaps later, but that's, that's the story.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that is fascinating. And I'm curious just with um, when you first started um, your business, um, how did you grow it? Where did those opportunities come from?
1: Well, it, it um, you know my original intent, as I said, was to um, work with other states because I knew I knew all the mistakes that we had made in Massachusetts. Uh, fortunately, they hadn't gotten lots of airtime. But I, having been the chief operating officer um, from you know essentially day one, I knew what it took to build out an exchange, and I knew um, that there were probably more efficient ways to do that if you you know uh, took the lessons learned and could apply them elsewhere so to me it just made sense to go out and help other states do that. Um, What I didn't anticipate was all of the continuing politics around the Affordable Care Act and that in fact 50 states weren't going to go and set up exchanges um, and what I also didn't anticipate was how much insurance companies really needed good information to figure out how they could participate um, in this new opportunity. And so um, I found myself being asked um, to come in and give talks uh, about what we had done in Massachusetts and then that would lead uh, to engagements you know, with, with both state um, entities and also insurers. So, um, and then actually tech firms. I mean, it just, it was a whole new emerging marketplace. Um, you know, these changes, of course, are called marketplaces, but also just this chance to build out something um, new and different, and each state was really allowed to do it however they wanted. So there were all kinds of um, ways to think about it um, and improve upon what we had done. And so, um, you know, I think it, it, it was just a very exciting time. and yeah i'm I'm glad I got to uh, I got to participate in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another way I've grown the business has been um, by creating a pool of advisors um, to the business informal advisors and and then actually turn them into an advisory board and um, asked for their advice on how to think about scaling up the business um, and also uh, related to that what other areas should we be working in because um, as I think I said earlier it's been a wild ride with the Affordable Care Act and if my whole business was based on whether the ACA was going to survive um, I was taking a really big risk because there were certainly um, many times when I I thought we we could see the end of the ACA Um, so it was really important to diversify. And that's true with with so many businesses. Um, They start with doing one thing, but they've got to evolve as market needs change, et cetera. And so my advisors really helped me think through some um, ways that we could translate the type of service we were delivering um, in the coverage expansion arena to other segments of the healthcare sector and so um, that led fairly early on to us starting to work more with folks on the provider side um, and that's like health and hospital systems, provider groups, uh, doctors, um, organizations, and um, and taking the, the notion of, of transformation um, and while that wasn't as much about coverage expansion though there were some related aspects um, it brought us into the world of implementing um, accountable care organizations and things that were trying to move us um, as a society i think away from the traditional way of, of delivering delivering care into some new ways um, moving from fee for service to more value-based payments all of those kinds of things are um, really played in to the kind of skills that we had developed in leading change um, on the coverage side. Um, so we are helping organizations to lead change um, in these other areas now.
0: Well and that brings me just to another question I wanted to ask you about your health policy experience and I would love for you to just describe what you think typically drives our healthcare care policy.
1: Um, so, in terms of driving healthcare policy, that's a great question. <laughs> um, there, ha- having just written a book where I studied this, um, go- looking back at our history, um, there are a lot of competing forces in America, um, and it's it's not just politics; it's also economics. Um, and so, when when you look at um, you know how we have Gotten to where we are today, and I'll just take um, the coverage side Um, We have done things really in fits and starts um, and And it's it it strikes me that that's just how it works in our country. That we're a very vast and diverse nation. Um, States vary tremendously. Um, I have worked in you know from the bluest of states, you know in Hawaii, uh, to some of the reddest states um, in the country, and everything in between. And I'm constantly struck by you know. the kind of exciting diversity that we have and so that is a fundamental underpinning of what's possible with health policy and I think that um, you know when um, when the great society programs launched and we had Medicare and Medicaid that was a big step in the direction of of expanding coverage beyond what the private sector was offering and it was an important step, but that's over 50 years ago. Um, And it turns out that when those programs were launched, they weren't as um, robust as they are today. They were launched actually in a more minimal way. Um, Medicaid, for example, was actually done at state option and it took about 18 years for all 50 states to adopt the Medicaid program. So, um, you know, that is something that, you know, as a student of health policy, I I think you have to take into account when you look at what the possibilities are going forward. Um, And even when people have bold visions um, to, to do something really grand, it takes an incredible confluence of events to make that happen and when you look at the affordable care act which was the biggest coverage expansion since medicare and medicaid um, you know it happened but there was a lot of pain uh, politically that kind of happened along with that and um, i won't say that the affordable care act caused our polarized environment but it was subject to the polarized environment and it contributed um, or certainly uh, gave reason for for some p- potentially continuing polarization, at least in- initially. Um, I do think that some common ground has been found, and particularly around things like covering pre-existing conditions. I think that's become a pretty universal issue that crosses party lines. And so um, it takes time for our country, our citizens to digest that and to accept that. But I do think that um, similar things have happened with Medicaid and more and more states are choosing to expand Medicaid, whether it's by citizen initiative or by legislature. Um, And I do think ultimately we'll see all the states adopt the Medicaid expansion opportunity in the Affordable Care Act. It's just that it doesn't happen in one fell swoop. And we, we just, each place kind of has to digest it in its own way. And that can be frustrating if you're really trying to accomplish the bold things. But um, nevertheless, um, the arc the arc does bend toward coverage, to paraphrase uh, some other health policy folks. And so we've got to keep working on bending it, but it is moving in the right direction.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. I. I- You know, I want to talk a little bit more about um, passing health reform legislation at a state level and and I would love for you just to expound a little bit on what are some of the challenges and opportunities you see on the state level?
1: Well, and, um, you know, every state's different Um, and you know when I look at a state that you know where I grew up in California um, a lot of health policies actually done at the county level and and then the state tries to overlay a lot of the activities of the county with with some uh, form of policy as well um, versus a smaller state like Massachusetts where things really do happen entirely at the state level so there's kind of just that Uh, starting points can be really different um, separate and apart from what is the political makeup of your state but I'll take um, the example of Massachusetts because I found it fascinating Um, as I entered state government um, I was learning became a student of what had had happened before where there had been successes and failures and various bold initiatives and uh, Massachusetts had tried to do a universal coverage program um, prior to the one that happened in 2006 under Governor Romney um, and it was attempt under governor Dukakis and unfortunately um, the while the law got passed it never got fully implemented for a lot of reasons um, and one one big reason is that at the time the business community wasn't on board as much as they were um, when Governor Romney um, worked to pass his version of a, a, a uh, I- improving coverage. Um, I, I won't say universal coverage because we didn't get 100%, but we got near universal. Um, but but basically, taking those lessons learned of what had um, not been acceptable or digestible, as I've been saying, um, under Governor Dukakis's idea, you know, where did that backfire? And, and so, what were those lessons learned, and how could you then um, apply that to how? you might try take another run at it and really keeping the business community at the table was incredibly important and so um, you know there were definitely um, folks who were advocating for single-payer and wanted to see single-payer um, but that was just not something that most people thought was going to be politically feasible even in a blue state and so I think that um, our version of health reform in Massachusetts really bridged a lot of, um, of different sides, and that's what it took. Um, it truly was a bipartisan bill between the governor's, you know, Republican leadership and then the state legislature being Democratic, and they came together um, with the help of the business community and the advocacy community and really um, came to uh, a model that, that could be passed in legislation, and then we proceeded to implement.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and in thinking, kind of spanning out nationally, um, do you think that we have similar challenges, or how are the challenges different from what you saw in your experience here in Massachusetts?
1: Yeah, so, you know, to sum up what happened in Massachusetts there was definitely compromise happening on all sides everybody kind of had to lean in and uh, I remember a lot of times the phrase being used you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and Mm so um, particularly for folks who um, still probably would have preferred to see single payer the point was that there was an opportunity to expand coverage that was a goal that everyone had and maybe it wasn't going to be put forward in the way that was your particular ideal Mm -hmm. but did you want to get nothing or something Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know I I think there was just a willingness to compromise and unfortunately I feel like at the national level you just don't see that Um, and and maybe because the country's so vast and there's such a dichotomy you know, in our politics. You know, it, Massachusetts um, does actually, you know, I call it a blue state, but <laughs> there's there's a pretty healthy Republican Party. Um, and uh, But nonetheless, there, there just was an overall sense of a commonwealth and maybe the scale of our state made it initially more achievable, um, that, that people could actually sit at a table together and try to work something through. I think that's really hard to do in Washington, D.C., unfortunately. So, um, so the lessons we learned at our state level were much harder to apply, I think, at the national level. You know, that said, um, I am a fan of letting states do a fair amount of their health policy making, um, and and that's because i think you just can't have washington dictate um what's going to happen and because the states are so different and their economies are different you know their starting points are different for for so many reasons and you know that can be really frustrating particularly to liberals who want to just wave the wand and say okay everybody's covered and we're at universal health care you know personally i would love to see that but pragmatically I just don't see that happening, and I don't want to um, let that stand in the way of making forward progress, even if it's more incremental than I might want in my dreams.
0: Sure, sure. And in your experience in talking to people, uh, policymakers, you know, around the country, do you see much alignment happening around any central issues?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, it it hasn't quite hit hit, hit the uh, uh, level of you know, political rhetoric, but I do think uh, that notion of protecting people with pre-existing conditions, because that is all of us. It's, um, you know, if it's not you personally, it it will be you at some point in your life, and it's certainly people that you know. And I, I do think that that's had a, a bit of a um, unifying effect, behind the scenes at least, that you just can't, the, the Affordable Care Act made that progress, and and you can't backslide on that because it it just affects too many people. It's not just an issue for poor people. Um, it affects everybody across the income spectrum. And so then you have like a kind of a universal aspect that you can build from. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't think it fits in with um, Republican rhetoric, you know, yet. But I I am hopeful that that's a place that we can come together to, you know, really try to make sure that we don't lose what we gained in the ACA and that we build upon it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really great point. That I hope that people can align around, like you said, because it does really impact everybody.
1: Um, you know, I was recently doing some work in Kansas, and they have um, been working to find a way to compromise um, and and basically accept the Medicaid expansion opportunity. And they're framing it as something that's really good for their uh, for business, um, good for worker productivity, good for the economy. And I do think that more people are starting to see healthcare coverage as that, and that also. Is a bridging issue so um, you know we really have a patchwork quilt of coverage in our country um, and and you know it, a big a big piece of that coverage quilt is employer-sponsored insurance and yet so many people who are working do not have jobs that are able to provide insurance um, for, for their workers, um, and certainly not for people who are piecing together several part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet people are working. And so the, the and, and they, to, to stay productive, they do need to, to have um, their health needs met, you know. Uh, they need good preventive care, they need mental health coverage, they need all of those things, we all need that. And so I do think that is starting to kind of sink into the psyche that, all right, we're not gonna have every employer be able to afford Covering their employees and their families and yet they want their productive workforce So how can we as a society help and solve that?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I know all of these things have been near and dear to your heart and that you wrote a book about them. And so (laughs) congratulations on that. Thank you. Oh, it's a huge accomplishment. And I would love for you just to share a little bit about, um, what, what drove this endeavor. And obviously your passion for this is shining through even in as you speak right now, but what else could you say about what drove you to it?
1: So there were a couple of things. I mean, the the biggest um, the biggest thing that drove me to write the book is that um, the threats to repeal the Affordable Care Act that um, culminated in the outcome of the 2016 presidential and congressional elections, um, I just found terrifying because I had worked on the precursor to the Affordable Care Act here in Massachusetts and then worked with many states to implement um, the Affordable Care Act and saw that there really was a path forward um, in lots of different places, but it didn't fit the political rhetoric for some reason, and the, the, you know, the, the benefits that I felt like the ACA would offer if people would just kind of take a step back and and let it get implemented and and see people get coverage and and have their pre-existing conditions protected. I just felt like that needed to be explained better to people who don't spend their time in health policy circles. So I, I felt um, initially that one of my jobs was to do a better job of helping to explain the Affordable Care Act. And so that was how I started thinking about the book. Um, but then I realized that that was almost um, playing defense and that, it, that wasn't Going to be exciting enough it turns out writing a book is a pretty big endeavor and you've got to be passionate i'm passionate about the affordable care act but i decided i want to take a longer view and have a vision to you know 2020 where we are now and beyond where should we be as a society why you know why are we the wealthiest country and yet We don't have universal health care, and all the other countries who aren't even as wealthy as we are do. I I keep asking myself that question. I said, "Well, what would it take for us to get to universal health care?" And that's where I said I wanted to set my eyes on that prize and look at the horizon and try to go there. And so that became um, more of what the book is about. I still do spend a chapter explaining the Affordable Care Act, but I do a lot more than that. And um, the other piece that came into play was, um, frankly, the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and that really um, woke me up in a pretty profound way to the fact that um, women have not made the advances that I guess I thought we kind of had um, in our in our country. Uh, so I, uh, my feminist spirit got reawakened, and I said, uh, and, and then I kind of just it hit me that I could combine. Um, what I wanted to do on health reform with the feminist lens because um, women are uh, continue to be um, the primary caregivers and actually um, make the bulk of health care decisions at the household level and yet we are not empowered if you look at you know we're not fully empowered if you look at uh, government leadership if you look at the makeup of Congress if you look at corporate boardrooms we're just not there yet Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to write a book that would inform more women about these issues, and hopefully inspire them to act, to, pu- to push for universal health care, mm-hmm. and to realize it's not a, something you can just solve at the household level. We collectively have to come together and say, this is what we want our society to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, in, in, in this book, Marching Towards Coverage, which comes out in March, um, you've mentioned quite a few things that you're hoping your readers take from it, um, what are some other things that you can think of when somebody's finished reading this book? What do you hope happens? So I want to move
1: everybody a little bit out of their comfort zone. So um, you know, uh, the goal is to get people to think about how to be more active um, politically, mm-hmm. and, to, and with and I'm ve- I'm very focused on the lens of pushing for universal health care. Um, So I want people who uh, may have never, you know, volunteered for a campaign to think about actually stepping out and and volunteering for a campaign or door knocking. Um, I want people who are you know comfortable making donations to nonprofits to think about maybe making some political donations to make a statement about the society we want to have. Um, I, I, I want people who are comfortable tweeting you know late at night about these issues um, to say okay I'm going to actually get out of my house and you know work with an organization to um, to say this is this is what we want and and get make you know become visible um, again stepping out of comfort zones to show essentially um, add to the movement that is there um, to push our our country forward.
0: Mm-hmm. It's exciting times. <laughs> and so, I have one last question for you. We're already nearing the end of our time. Um, so I'm curious, what comes next for you, for your business, what comes next for you and your national work on this effort?
1: Um, you know, <laughs> a year from now, I think that'll be much more clear. Um, I am excited about um, talking about the book and and getting it out there into um, into the national arena and um, hopefully talking to folks through NPR and, and being at events um, where I can um, help help a lot of people to see that this isn't an issue to shy away from. Um, yes, healthcare is complicated, but you can know enough to be able to um, take some sort of action. And I want to have a lot of people around the country see that that's possible and to build confidence in that direction. Um, so. How I do that um, in the next year is really, I think, through getting out and doing a lot of speaking um, and, and and meeting with people. Beyond that, um, you know, people said, "Well, you should run for office, or you should do this or that." I'm really happy having the business that I that I am running. Um, I love the team we've built, um, and it does afford me some flexibility to be able to do things like write this book. Um, so I, I think I'm staying open to what the possibilities are as I, um, as I enter more of the national conversation. I think uh, for a long time I've been more of a behind-the-scenes person, just wanting to make sure that things get done and get done well. Um, and so for me, taking a, that bigger step out onto the stage is, is um, as Brene Brown would say, it's, it's the daring greatly part. So I'm going to try that and I'm going to see where that takes me.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much just for sharing your insights and your vision for the future, your dreams, and also your experience with us. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. Day Health Strategies is a Boston-based mission-driven healthcare consulting firm, specializing in providing timely and effective solutions to complex problems in healthcare. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at www.dayhealthstrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at dayhealthstrat. Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of Day Health Strategies. Our producer and host is Emily George. Editing is done by Kate Gatton. Special thanks to Purple Planet for the use of their songs.